Good morning, church. Whew, how about that? I'm uh, hearing a little echo. You don't, I don't mind you talking behind my back. I kind of hate to do it myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, it's so good to see everybody this morning. I'll tell you, what a beautiful day this morning, by the way. Was it not just beautiful? tell you what it was an awesome day the weather was great yeah you give god the glory on that i'll tell you it was exciting to get out uh, on my uh, motorcycle this morning uh feel that uh, wind blowing in your face hopefully just the wind nothing else you run by or anything but uh, but it was a great day great day to be out to be together i uh tell you uh I am excited about the things that are happening in our church family and all the good things that are going on. I love uh, I love our assemblies. I love the uh, worship uh, in both assemblies. Uh, by the way, worship uh, worship center folks, uh, you're with me in the fellowship center there. Raise your hand. There they are. I was in earlier uh, with part of that worship. It was just great. I saw a lot of new faces, and uh, it's always good to meet some new folks that are here. I'm going to have... Uh, uh, Christian Lowry. Christian, come on up and read scripture for us. Now, Christian, I understand that uh, you and my wife have something in common. Did you know that? You probably don't even know who my wife is, right? She's just a little taller than you uh, and uh, about your size, so you'll uh, uh, recognize her out there. Uh, Christian likes to jump on the trampoline, right? Well, uh, my wife has a trampoline, a big one. And she jumps on it every day. And I, uh, I like to watch her jump on the trampoline. Uh, I did save mine during the hurricane. I, uh, I did have the idea. I turned it upside down and set my grill on it. And so we were lucky there. My fence blew away, but my, my trampoline was good. And uh, look, this guy right here during the hurricane, by the way, he was out every day pulling limbs, helping. Uh, they put you on a chainsaw? No. Yeah, I think, uh, didn't y'all make the trip to Iowa, too, to work up there? Yeah, so this is Ryan Lee. Look out, son. Your replacement is coming right on your heels. So Christian's going to do our scripture reading today. Thank you for being willing to do that, brother. Okay, I'm going to be reading John chapter 12, verse 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet. And wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the fer- of the perfume. Thank you very much. What a uh, what a great story this is about uh, Mary and her uh, uh, worship, her honor, her praise of uh, Jesus. Uh, we've entitled this close contact. You know, if you're touching somebody's feet, that's pretty close contact, right? And so uh, uh, we're going to talk about that and about her story in just a minute. Now, I, I do want to let me say a word. By the way, Jeremy, uh, uh, for this particular assembly in here, you guys in other rooms I know didn't hear, but Jeremy, thank you for uh, encouraging us in our giving. Uh, we'll say that, uh, you know, Mary gave a year's wages. I'm just saying. Uh, we're not going to have a show of hands if you're willing to give a year's wage. It's not that we won't take it, but I'm just, I understand this is a little different context. 
but uh, uh, don't get nervous about when a preacher gets up to talk about giving. Uh, I always uh, heard that really what you need to do is to tell people to put your hands in the pocket of the person beside you and give like you always wanted to. Uh, but I am thankful for your willingness to give. To really meet our vision of reaching as many people as possible, it takes people's willingness to give money and to help make that happen. And so thank you for that. All it will take for us to kind of make up the gap that we're feeling, everybody does 5 or $10 a piece more each time and we're there. It doesn't really take very much. And so if you would uh, kind of reexamine your giving and uh, take that little bit of a challenge, and let's, take, uh, let's make sure we've got what we need uh, to do what we want to do for the Lord. And he'll get the glory and we'll get the encouragement, right? That's exactly right. So um, John chapter 12, the first couple of verses here, he explains the uh, time and the occasion. He kind of gives you the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the setting here. And uh, by the way, Alan, thank you for uh, uh, the lesson uh, last week about the resurrection and the life. And I noticed that in your comments, you uh, killed Tommy and brought him back to life all at the same time. Uh, go back and listen to the introduction. You'll get that message. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I love the way this book of John is laid out. And now you're getting to the end of Jesus' public ministry and the things that he's been doing. And, of course, you had that great story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And now all of a sudden in chapter 12... He's going to be talking about really a woman's devotion and how she chooses to honor Jesus. It says six days before the Passover. So we've got a week here ahead, of, almost a week ahead of time. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. And actually in the tense of it, it actually still lives there. Uh, it's not necessarily his house. We find out over in the, uh, uh, in the book of Mark when he also writes about this same incident that's actually at the Simon the leper's house. But they're gathered here and, and they're doing something particular in honor of Jesus. It says, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pine or, or pure nard, an inex, expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Let's deal with a little bit of this. First of all, I want to deal with Mary's devotion, or I like to say her worship, because to worship is to kiss toward God. It's to have adoration for it. It's to honor. It's to lift up. And so... She has an example of a heart that is just totally overflowing with adoration, worship, and honor. Now, look, she didn't just uh, see Jesus there. The meals aren't going to honor him. She didn't just see him and think all of a sudden. It wasn't like a, a, a just a spontaneous thing. Oh, wait a minute. I'm going to anoint him. What have I got in my purse? Let's dig down in here and see. And she pulls out. All of a sudden, here's a perfume. Uh, and by the way, it's worth a year's wages. That's not how it happened. Why would a woman have a, this in my mouth anyway? Well, there's two reasons that women back in that culture had that. One was in preparation of 
a marriage fixing to take place. The other was in preparation of their own burial and preparing for their own death. And this is something that's been, been being prepared and saved up for a long time. It's a year's wages. And so this is something that's thoughtful. This is something that's been prepared. This is something that's worth a lot. And yet she wants to honor her Lord, and this is how she chooses to do it. Now, in the, in the other account in Mark, you see that this is in an alabaster jar. And in Mark, matter of fact, it, it, she anoints his head and his whole body. Matter, this was too much to just anoint his feet anyway. The John's occasion is writing. He's wanting to emphasize something particular. He doesn't mention everything Mark does or vice versa because of what they're trying to get across when they write this. But it's the same story. And so she breaks this, as John said, to be totally poured out. There's no saving it up. There's no putting the lid back on. There's no keeping it. She's going to put the whole thing on Jesus. No turning back here with this. And she anoints his feet. Now think about not only her preparation, but think about her sacrifice. She laid her glory at the feet of Jesus for his glory. Remember? Paul wrote in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 15. A woman's hair is her what? It's her glory. So she unties her hair, brings it down, gets on her knees, and wipes the feet of the creator of the universe. She lays her glory at the feet for his glory. What a beautiful picture of worship. By the way, isn't that what we ought to be doing with our own hearts when we come into the presence of God? Why did she do this? She recognized who he was. She saw him raise the dead. She heard his lesson. She, he's claiming to be God. She knew who he was, and she knew where he was headed. And look at the transformation that took place in her life. A fragrance all of a sudden that says, filled the whole room and the whole house. Have you ever uh, walked by someone that had a little bit too much perfume on? I mean, don't be looking down the pew or poking somebody. But, you know, you've been by someone, and obviously it was an accident. They spilt it on themselves. They didn't realize. And all of a sudden, what used to be here is here. You know, you go to hug them like this type thing. This fragrance of this went all over the house. So you know it's on her too. So by the way, when she goes out that day to, to, uh, to, to the market or wherever she goes and meets the people she meets, what's happening with her? They're saying, hey, you, you, you smell different than you used to. There's a beautiful aroma about you. And I'll tell you why. That's what happens in the presence of Jesus. Because not only the physically that happens to her, but spiritually it happens to all of us. Because we turn into that sweet aroma of life. That is seen because of what Jesus has done for us. That's what Paul described it as. The aroma of life. What she did was a blessing to Jesus. It was a blessing to her own life. It was a blessing to her home. And it was a blessing to the church. 
even today. Because in Mark 14, 9, the Bible says, Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Look at the ripple effect of her worship and her honor and her praise and her sacrifice and her giving. Look at the ripple effect it has not only through her household and through her community, but it rippled down through the ages, through the church, and even to people today as the gospel is preached. Her story is told by the very fact we're telling it, says it again. You ever wish you would just do one thing that would be remembered? Did you ever think it might be how you worship your God? How you lay at His feet? That that might be the very thing that coming into His presence has some kind of impact that has a ripple effect through down the ages? I hope it does. I hope it does for your kids and their kids and their kids, generation to generation. That the effect of of Jesus and being near him in his presence, close contact with him, has a major impact on the lives of many, many people. Now, in this, I couldn't help but think about principles of worship. Things that come out of her heart by being in the presence of Jesus. You don't worship by coming here saying John gets up and says it's time to worship. Or Ryan gets up and says, okay, push your button. It's worship time. And everybody all of a sudden just starts worshiping. You see, it's not an outside thing. And I think sometimes we even try too hard. We want to create a worship experience. And I get that idea. We want to open up an opportunity for people to worship. But I'm going to tell you something. You can't artificially from the outside manipulate people to fall at the feet of Jesus. It just doesn't work. So that's an inside job. Worship is not an emotional surge of energy because something outside happened. It's not just glandular. It's not just about whether I'm touched or whether I'm moved. Our corporate or our public worship, what really makes it great worship, is because your private worship is good to begin with. If your private worship is no good, then we can't make you worship good when we get together publicly. just doesn't work that way. I mean, what a moving experience to watch this woman lay all this down at the feet of Jesus. How could you not be moved at, at seeing her response to the Savior? And yet, there's people right here in this story that aren't moved at all. You know, when your spirit's dry, when you're down a bit and you need to awake yourself, worship is the key. So there are times when when I'm down or I'm discouraged or or maybe I even feel far away from that that I, I sing. It's not that I sing because I necessarily feel like singing at the moment. But I sing because I know if I practice these verses about rejoicing and praising God then as I come into His presence, His presence presence changes me uh, for that time that I'm with Him. And so that 
private interaction with Jesus and coming near Him and me deciding I'm choosing to worship regardless of my spirit and regardless of outside things that are going on. I'm going to choose to praise Him. I'm going to choose to sing to Him. I'm going to choose to worship and honor Him. When I do that, I get back to why I'm created because the Bible says we're created to the praise of the Lord. But when I get occupied with myself, well, really, that's when I really need to to awaken myself and get occupied with God. Because when I'm focused on Him instead of me, good things happen inside of me. And my public expressions of worship will never be free to overflow until my private worship is where it needs to be. You know why sometimes we're uncomfortable, John mentioned, you know why we're sometimes we're uncomfortable with other people who worship different than we do? Sometimes because their worship and the pouring out of their heart is showing a contrast between where their heart is and where mine is. And I don't like to see that. Because I'm just not freed up to worship because I'm still worried about me. What's somebody going to think about me well i'll be thinking what's somebody gonna think about jesus but boy that's difficult it's a challenge for us sometimes isn't it but when we look at her worship and the principles she used in honoring jesus i think we learn something about humility and about dropping down at the feet and about giving our glory to christ that he might be glorified well as always there's somebody here in the text who didn't like it, what was going on. Look here in the, uh, verse 4 and uh, uh, 6 here. He said, But one of the disciples, which I think is pretty interesting, by the way, he's a disciple. He's not just some visitor that came that day. Right? He's a disciple. Judas Iscariot, now in the other accounts, the other disciples are there too, by the way. They're, they're having some of these same problems. Uh, who was later to betray him, objected. So this is about his objection. Why wasn't this perfume sold to uh, the uh, and the money given to the poor. It was worth a year's wages. He, now, he did not say it's because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. By the way, the only place in the Bible Jesus is called a thief is in this text. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. <laughs> Judas's objection. Mary's worship stands in great contrast to Judas's objection. Selfishness does not understand unselfishness. He criticized her worship because of the selfishness of his heart. Yet he had close contact with Jesus. He's his disciple. He's hung around him. He's watching him raise the dead. He's watching feed thousands of people. He's watching supply everything he needs. And yet, all of a sudden, still he cannot get on board, even though he's with him, traveling with him, and, and seeing all he's doing. Yet he does not get on board with what Jesus has going on in the kingdom of God. He's close, yet far from the kingdom. You ever felt like that? You ever walked in and your spiritual life is just dry? Just dry? Just dry? You ever felt like that? 
Satan's got the best of you that week. You've given in to some sins. You know your rebellion is right there in the mind. In your mind, it's right there at the top. You can't keep from thinking about it. Your spiritual life is suffering. You've been close. You've heard the gospel. You've been around people who are spiritual, and they're all excited, but you just can't muster it up because your heart just isn't right there where it needs to be. Well, the good news is you can make a choice about that. You don't have to stay away from the kingdom. He was one of his disciples, yet he's far from the kingdom. He was critical of her worship because of his own bad heart. Now, in the next two verses, we see Jesus' instruction about this. So you see Mary's devotion. You see Judas's objection. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus is going to do a little instructing and teaching here. He says, I, I've wanted to say this before to somebody who criticized somebody else's worship or offering or gift. I, I've, I've wanted to say this. And uh, I probably have said it and offended somebody. I don't know. But I want, he said, this is what, here's, what Je, here's what Jesus said to him. Leave her alone. Now, now, as a parent, have you ever said those words? Have you ever just said to your kids, one's bothering the other? And if you looked in the back seat, you can't reach them. You swipe back there, but you can't quite hit them. And you just say, leave her alone. And then usually it's right like that. If I have to stop this car, right? I always wondered about that because I would say it, but my, you know, my, my dad would say it, but he never stopped the car. I'm like, oh, if he did, I don't know what would happen, but I'm just glad he never stopped it. Well, actually, I do know what would happen, but leave her alone. Quit bothering her. What are you doing to this? Look at her. She's offering, she's offering this expensive, extravagant gift of love. And there's a time, by the way, to be extravagant in our worship and our honor of Jesus. And he tells the ones that are critical, leave her alone. Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. What's Jesus saying there? He's not saying don't take care of the poor. He, all the way through Scripture, you see Jesus taking care of the poor. Matter of fact, that responsibility is going to be there. It's going to keep being there till the day we die. But he said, I'm not going to be here very long. You've only got this physical time with me for a short period. Another week and this thing's going to change drastically. Leave her alone. What we express publicly is simply the result of what we know privately. It's hard to overflow publicly if you're not with him privately. She's been with him. She's overflowing with her heart and her gift. She's criticized. Jesus instructs him about that. And now comes the Jews on the scene again. Remember back in chapter 11, at that end of that chapter, they're looking for a reason to arrest him. And in fact, they told people, you find him, tell us where he is. We want to go, we want to go arrest him. We want to kill him. Look at the next couple of verses. 
Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Lazarus must have been some kind of tourist attraction. Can you imagine people coming up and talking to Lazarus? These Jews come up, they're talking. What are they saying? I mean, what would you say? What question would you have for Lazarus? uh, Did you see a light? That'd be it, wasn't it? Isn't that the question? Did you see a light? Did you feel anything? Did you see God? Did you see Uncle Joe? Well, I didn't think he made it. <laughs> no, I was just kidding. I mean, think about though. Don't aren't, isn't there always that curiosity of what's beyond the what, the grave? I mean, uh, what what do you feel? What do you see? What happens? Uh, uh, Lazarus doesn't do that. That Lazarus doesn't talk about himself. Here's what he's doing. Whatever he's doing, he's doing as a witness to Jesus because of him. Other people are believing not in him. They're believing in Jesus and becoming followers. And the Jews don't like it very well. You've got Martha's work. You've got Mary's worship. And you've got Lazarus' witness. Now, that's a pretty good three pair of folks doing something good for the kingdom, isn't it? They planned to kill Jesus and Lazarus. Now, I always thought, what were they thinking? Now, look. He's already been dead once. And you think that I can kill him and solve this problem? It's not somebody among the Jews saying, tucking, you know, somebody's shirt sleeve saying, hey, hey, guys, that might not be a good idea. You know, I mean, he raised him once. I'm, he'll just raise him again. We kill him, he raises him. We kill him, he raises him. I mean, who's going to win this battle? Lazarus was raised only to die again, to experience a greater hope than the one he ever had in this life. And I love the fact that his witness brought people to Jesus. Her worship had ripples effect impacting people for Jesus. And your life does the same. As we kind of wrap up this story, let's just think about a few things. Her inside heart had an overflowing outside impact. Don't social distance from Jesus. We better worry more about six feet under than we do six feet apart. Think about that. You see, when we are in close contact with the Savior and our heart is right, it makes a change in our life. Here's the contrast that takes place. Think about this. Close contact with Jesus creates a a clear contrast 
and it forces a decision to be made. Isn't that what Jesus said? Father, uh, uh, father be against son, mother against daughter, families will be split. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword because when people follow him, all of a sudden it is a dividing thing that uh, takes place, right? Some on the left and some on the right, there's going to be a decision made. You see, close contact creates that clear contrast. And Jesus forces us to make a decision. Devotion, Mary's devotion, or Judas's desertion? Faith or fear? Belief or unbelief? Humility or hostility? Life or death? Heaven or hell? Savior or Satan? Jesus said you're either for me or you're against me. Where are you today? Jesus is where we want to be today. You're exactly right, Kurt. Jesus. I want to be in close contact with the creator of the universe, the one that cleanses my heart from sin, takes away my guilt, removes my shame. I want to be with Jesus. Don't you think it's time to break the jar? No turning back. Just give your heart fully to the one that can save your soul. If you have a need to respond today, do so.